See, now you're thankful, aren't you? We're going to be in John chapter 15 this morning, but uh, we're wrapping up our uh, session series on, on prayer. And, and as we've talked through this, we've, uh, we've shared this each week, that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Okay? Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And last week we talked about putting on the whole armor of God and that you need to pray before you need it because you never know when you're going to need it. And we spoke about being armored up and, and ready to go. And um, if you didn't uh, weren't here last week and you want to listen to that, you can use the app. You can go online and find that at newlifelv.com or, or the New Life Church app. But we see here in... In John chapter 15, what I would call is, uh, is lifestyle prayer. And one of the uh, issues we face in our modern times is we're very distracted people. I don't believe there's any more sin in the world than there's ever been. We're just more distracted because there's more stuff out there to distract us. And, and we've, we've stepped aside from having God as our lifestyle to having God as a, as a thing we do, more like an event. Well, I went to something. I went to church. I went to a conference. I went to Promise Keepers. I went to... Well, that's not a lifestyle. That's an event. And when you come home, nothing has really changed. It's like, I'm going to diet over the weekend. Well, what do you think happens when I just diet over the weekend? You know, uh, it's not going to go so well. And so my hope for you is that we develop a lifestyle of prayer. And prayer is not something that God wants from you. It's what He wants for you. Just like tithes and offering, just like blessings, all those things. He's, he's not a demanding God. He has all that He needs. And the things that He asks us for are things that He wants for us, not from us. Now, I know that sounds weird because most of the time when somebody's asking you for something, it sounds like they want something from you. But that's the world. God says, I want prayer. I don't need prayer. I want it for you. You need prayer. You need to understand your finances. You need to tap into healing. You need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want it from you. I want it for you. And so just keep that in mind as we, as we get, jump into this. And there's some powerful words. And this is from the New Living Translation this morning. So John chapter 15 begin with verses 4 and 5. I'm going to share quite a bit of scripture with you this morning. So uh, be ready for that. So here's what he says right off the start. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now he says that repeatedly because he knows that we are slow learners, and he knows that sometimes we need to hear something more than once, but that first word is the word that I want to share with you the most this morning, which is remain. That means to live in. That means to reside. That means to uh, enter into. That means to uh, make accessible. That means to abide. That means to be focused. That means to be connected. And notice who we're supposed to be connected on. Him. See, now this is the issue, is if you don't remain in Him, 
what happens. He, he perfectly describes this, and this is why we're seeing people with crisis of faith. This is why we're seeing religion on a slide away instead of moving up. We're moving away from God as a nation, as people, as individuals, because we forget this important role of remaining. Those of you that are struggling in your faith, those of you that feel like, I just can't get connected to God, it's probably not a God problem. It's probably a remaining problem. You're not remaining in him. If you go home and put this into practice and do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's remaining. If not, you have an event. And he doesn't say have an event. He says remain. Stay. Be centered on Keep connected to. Be focused on me. The problem is we're most likely focused on us and we want to remain in us. And he goes on to say, if you'll remain in me and I will remain in you. And look at this. You know this. This is just common nature. He's, he's explaining a very spiritual thing by using a natural thing. We know what happens when you cut a flower, right? Does it immediately die? But will it ever grow back? What happens to the flower even if you put it in water? The water only delays the process, right? If you just cut that flower, you set it out in the sun, you know what happens. It begins to fade and wither and it dies. No matter that it was once connected, no matter that it once was full of life, it has been cut off from its precious flow. It has been cut off from the roots. And Jesus Christ says, you've got to get this right. And that's why he says it. I'm the vine. You're not the vine. You're not the source of everything. You're not the source of life. You're not the way that makes these things happen. I am. And you've got to stay connected to me. But you keep wanting me to be connected to you, but you've got it backwards. I'm with you always. The question is, are you connected to me? And every time we disconnect, we've lost that flow. Every time we disconnect, we've lost the ability to produce fruit. And if you're at that point in your life or your career or your, your school or whatever it may be, see, his flow doesn't just affect Sundays, it flows through our marriage, it flows through our finances, it flows through our relationships, it flows through our thoughts, it flows through every part of our life. And whatever part of your life is disconnected, it begins to show the results of that and it can't bear good fruit. I've, I've shared this story uh, before and it's about that time for me to start again. I love eating blackberries, but I hate having blackberries. And the thing I like about it is that this passage plays true. When I whack those limbs off, they no longer live. And I'm joyful as I kill them. How about you this morning? Where are you disconnected from God? Where have you been severed? Where have you... Because He didn't cut you off. You cut you off. Or maybe you were never attached in the first place. Maybe today is the day. It's time for you to make up your mind. I'm going to remain. It, he didn't say remain in me when it's good. He didn't say remain in me when it's convenient. He didn't say remain in me when it's Sunday. He didn't say remain in me when you think about it. But notice that he's not going to force you. It's your choice. And you're the one that loses out. 
He doesn't. You do. Now maybe you're cons- I don't know what kind of fruit. How about a good life? How about good relationships? How about stable finances? How about stable emotions? How about all the things that we wish that we had? They can all be had if we'll remain in Him. And if you look back, I know you. Because you're no different than me. If you look back on the trouble that you've had, I can guarantee you there was a disconnect point. Where you stepped away from God. Where you tried to do it on your own. Where you decided I'd had enough. Well, he's not working. This is taking too long. And But you think about it. God is so good that just like anything else, I mean, imagine, if you will with me, if you've never read the beginning of the book, it's called Genesis He makes man, he puts him in this perfect garden, and what he's already done in advance is provided fruit. Right? Imagine if he just gave him seeds. If you're hungry, plant. How long do you think it takes to grow an apple tree? How long is it going to take to get that watermelon or that corn or that... And I'd be asking, where's the cow seed? I, I need some cow seed. I don't need... You can keep the fruits and veggies. I need that cow seed. How long does it take to grow one of those things? Notice that God provided already, and He put the seed back inside of the fruit so that when we consume it, we plant it again. But see, this is the disconnect. We have to decide to remain in Him. Many of you, you're way too connected to this world. You're way too connected to your phone, to your digital lifestyles. You think you're connected through Facebook, but that's not a connection. That's a digital connection. And your life would fall apart if the world stopped power. For those of us that are found in Him, it doesn't matter what happens out there. It would be inconvenient, but my life would go on. And yours would too, whether you believe it or not. (laughs) But my question is, what are you connected to? Because every place that you're connected apart from Him, it's pulling away your strength, it's pulling away the resources. Now before you get too crazy, that doesn't mean to get rid of your wife or your husband or get those kids out of here because they're causing you problems. I didn't say that at all. I'm just saying every place that you want to see the good of God, you've got to plug it into Him. Think about your phone. Think about your laptop. We'll use that digital. How long does that battery last? And then what happens? You see the little charge indicator You've got a little indicator on your phone, it begins to say 15%. And then pretty soon your phone just shuts down. Now what if you don't want it to shut down? It doesn't really matter, does it? So what do we do? I mean, isn't this amazing? Nobody had to give us these instructions. When the battery starts to go on our laptops, our pads, our, our phones, what do we do? We plug them in. And that was so difficult, wasn't it? We don't even think about it, right? I mean, when I travel, I see this. It's amazing. I see normal, everyday, average human beings that almost get into fights over an outlet. Right? I mean, I see little bitty ladies getting ready for a business trip, hip-checking people to get to an outlet. Because I got to plug in. I got to plug in. I got to plug in. I'm almost, you don't understand. I'm almost dying. I got to plug in. 
Well, what about us spiritually? We should be able to say the same thing. I'm almost dying. I better plug in. (laughs) I'm getting a little low. I better plug in. Remain in him. This has to be a lifestyle. I want to help you with that. And and that's about developing a a lifestyle of prayer. Because prayer is our connection with him. There is no cord to God. It's a spiritual plug. It's called prayer. And that's what my hope is for all this. Not to, not to feed you a bunch of scripture. That's not going to matter unless you put it into practice. Just like last week, you can know all that stuff. But if you decide, I'm not going to pray, then the armor of God doesn't help you. God saying, seek me first, doesn't help you unless you actually do it. Because I want you to have a rich life. I don't want you to feel like your life is uncharged, going down, going down, going down, blanking out. Got to remain in Him. So first is, is this. It's, it's setting a priority. And there has to be a priority of prayer. I love this passage, Daniel chapter 6. Now, a bad thing had just happened. Uh, a king that was a, uh, an ungodly king had put a, a law, a decree into practice that nobody could worship God. They could only worship the king. And look at what Daniel's response was. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down. Look at those two words. As usual. He went down, he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now look at this. He didn't get down and pray because of an emergency. He didn't get down and pray because of the pagan king. He didn't get down and pray because his friends were about to be thrown in a fiery furnace. He got down and prayed because that's what he did. Now maybe what he prayed about changed, but it wasn't like he just rushed home. And that's the problem. We stop making prayer our lifeline and our connection. We make it like a fire extinguisher. Or a life raft. I only pull it out when I need it. I only pull it out when there's emergency. I only pull it out when the flames are out of control. That's a poor time to have a prayer life. And he says, no, just remain in me. It's usual. He had to make it a priority instead of rushing around and trying to change the law. You know what he did? Prayer is my priority. Prayer is how I get things done. Prayer is what keeps me focused. Prayer is how I know what God's going to tell me to do. Prayer is what keeps me alive and well in Him no matter what's happening around me. But again, I have to make it my as usual. What's your as usual? What do you do when something happens you didn't expect? That's a good question. Do you pray? I hope so. And if not... You can do this. But I also want to share this with you. The priority of this is about the principle of what I call first things. Because when we put something in first place, it shows priority, right? Right? You say something and it shows priority. Hey, okay, let me do this first. Right? You want to know priority? Go to Dieter's house early in the morning. She's going to say, I'm going to talk to you, but first I need coffee. Right? You go to Dieter's house late in the afternoon, and she said, I'll talk to you, but first I need coffee. 
you're here, you're important, but first, I need coffee. <laughs> what about you? What's your priority? What's your first thing? Because first things set things in priority. And the Bible clearly says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And when you seek Him first, then all these great things can be added unto you. But when you don't seek Him, you block the promise of God. Secondly, you need to have a place of prayer. Jesus taught us this as well. Mark 1.35, He says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, I struggle with this, and I've heard this almost all of my Christian life, that somebody says, hey, the first thing you need to do is pray in the morning. And, and I get that. I'm, I'm not much of a morning person. I'm more of a late-night person. And, but it's also about the priority. But notice what he did. Before he got up and got distracted and got busy, Jesus was a busy person. <laughs> he went out by himself to pray. And he had a place that he went to pray. He knew where he was going to go to pray, and that's the place he went to pray. And he went someplace that said it was solitary or isolated so that he didn't get distracted because he wanted quality God in him time. Now, listen, I know this sounds so simple, and please don't think this is condescending, but just take it for what it's worth. If Jesus needed to pray, and he is God... What excuse do we have? Think about that. If Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself in flesh, felt like He had to pray all the time, what in the world are we doing feeling like we don't? Good question, isn't it? Are we better than Him? <laughs> I don't think so. In fact, we need it more, and, and believe me, if we could get by with it, if we could pray about 20 hours a day, it would be more than enough. But we've got lives. We've got stuff. I get that, and nobody's saying that you're supposed to do that. He didn't either. But what he is saying is that you need to make this an unusual thing. You need to have a priority. This needs to be something that's important to you. And then you need a place where you go and do that, just like you, right? You've got a special place where you go and read. You've got a place where you go and watch. You've got a place where you go to relax. We've got places that we go that are kind of designated by us. And that's the same way with prayer. Where is your prayer place? They used to talk about prayer closets, and that sounds a little strange, but they weren't actually talking about a closet. But what they're really saying is a closed-in place. And the Jewish people had a great idea because many of their houses, they had multiple families and, and generations living in a, in a house. And so they had what was called a prayer shawl that they would close out the world by pulling the shawl over their head. And that's their prayer closet. They just kind of mentally, spiritually, I closed the rest of the world out. Now it's just me and God. Because you couldn't get away from everybody. But I'll tell you, if you're trying to make a prayer life in the midst of busy activity or uh, I'm going to stop real quick while I'm making dinner, it's not going to be much of a prayer. It's not going to be focused. It's not going to become a lifestyle. And it definitely won't become an as usual. You need to find that priority and you need to find that place to do that. And then number three, you need to have a plan. Luke chapter 11 says that once Jesus was in a certain place praying, notice that he had a place. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, 
teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, and Jesus said, this is how you should pray, and then he begins to talk about the Lord's Prayer that we started with. Not because it's a magic formula, but because we need to have a plan for what we're going to do. How are you going to do it? I mean, what's your plan? Maybe that's the reason that your prayer life is suffering. You don't have a plan. And somehow you think it just spontaneously, spiritually happens. It doesn't. That's why when you don't have a plan, we tend to do it spontaneously when trouble comes, and that's about it. We need to have a plan. Where are you going to pray? How long are you going to pray? Where are you going to pray? What are you going to pray for? Who are you going to pray with? How are you going to pray those things? See, without a, a plan... We begin to drift. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but it happens to me a lot. When I don't have a plan about what I'm going to pray for and I just get down to pray, I all of a sudden get a bazillion questions and thoughts running through my mind. (laughs) Or the opposite. I'm like, uh, 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 Lord, help me to pray. Amen. I either go blank or I begin to drift and then I'm like five minutes into my prayer and I'm thinking about, did I clean the garage? That's not a prayer life, no matter what my posture is. And I believe, as I've gotten older, I believe that a lot of the things I thought were prayer weren't really prayer. I believe it's prayer when I feel like I've connected with Him. Up until then, it's just me talking. But when I feel like I've actually connected to Him, then it truly becomes prayer to me. Maybe that, not for you, but for me, that's when I feel like prayer has become prayer, that I feel like I've connected with Him. And there's lots of time that I pray, and I'll just thank Him for things, but that's more of a routine, that's more of my as usual. But when I get serious and I'm praying, it becomes prayer when I feel like He and I have come to the same place. We're in the same moment together. I'm not searching, I'm not just blabbing. It feels intimate. It feels close. And it's usually when I have a plan. It's not just as I'm driving down the street and I say, Lord, thank you for the green light. Thank you that I've got gas. Thank, I mean, you know what I'm saying? We've got those type of, of prayers that I want to thank God for my life. But if not, we get very, we get very frustrated. I want to help you with this. I'm part of the plan. Not only do you need to figure out a place when, where, and how, and stick to your routine. I told you last week, got this wonderful development called a phone that you can use. Put it in your thing, and it'll, it will remind you when to pray. In fact, there's even prayer apps out there. You can download a prayer that you can type into it what to pray for in the day, and it'll set it up for you, and it'll chime at 11 o'clock saying, pray for, and just fill it in. But let me help you with that. Leave yourself last. Begin to develop an others first prayer life. First with God, trying to make that connection, and then, I don't know, pray for missionaries, pray for the government, pray for other Christians, pray for your neighbors, pray, pray for anybody else but you, and I guarantee you, you'll find that your prayer life turns differently in the positive. Because when it becomes all about me, it just becomes a wish list and it feels a lot more disconnected. Now, it doesn't mean in times of trial and and serious mess that you can't pray yourself first. Again, there's no formula to this. But I'm just saying that by and large, as Westerners, we tend to put us first, way before God, way before anybody else, and then, oh, my five minutes are up and I got to go. 
We need to have a plan. And I would challenge you, have an others first prayer life. What's your plan? Number four, let's remember the, the persons. And I know that sounds strange. We don't, that is the correct way to say it, but we just don't talk like this anymore. We, you'd think, well, it should be the people of prayer, but it's actually the persons of prayer. Second Corinthians tells us, let's, this is from the message version. I love this. We have to remember the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Now, this is kind of a benediction, which means he's, he's kind of closing a prayer. And I just like the wording of this message version that he, he kind of just reminds us that, that we've got friends, that we've got access, that, that God has done something for us, and we've got people on our side. You've got people. Did you know that? I remember, uh, it's been a while because I, I think the world has changed, but there, there used to be a time when people, uh, whoever the person was, if they wanted to be thought of as important and somebody was trying to set up something with them, they'd say, hey, have your people call my people because I'm way too busy to, like, make a phone call. Well, I don't have people. <laughs> Do you have people? When somebody calls me about something, I've got to check my own calendar. I've got to get back to them. I don't have people to handle all that. But did you know that in the spiritual realm, we have people? We've got God on our side. We've got Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit that is ever-present with us. And it's not just us involved in prayer. We've got all of those involved in prayer. And he even says this. Look at this. We have the amazing grace of our Master, who is Jesus Christ. We have an extravagant love of God. And we have an intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And his desire would be with all of you. This is not some exclusive club. He wants everybody to have this experience. But what this is going to require, and I hope that you get this, is I think that way too many people have a wrong view about God, of who He is and how He is. And it's tough to pray to a God that you don't understand or that you don't feel very connected to. There's a lot of people that think of Him as maybe a, a, a earthly father or a judging God or a uh, a disconnected God, and so, of course, we struggle to have a relationship with Him, especially if we're going to use that word Father, because many of us didn't have really great earthly fathers. Or even if you did, maybe He didn't teach you how to pray or, or show you the, the way to stay connected to God, and so you struggle with that, but you just need to repent of that and realize He wants us to call Him Father because He wants a relationship, not some service attitude, Right? We need to accept Him as a good Father, as a provider, as the one who loves us, as the one who fights for us, as the one that wants that's best for us. But that means we've got to change our thinking if you struggle in that area. So I want to spend the last little bit here about trying to change your mind about who the persons of prayer are because, again, if we pray God first, we've got three ways to pray for those things. So, Let's tackle this first one, the amazing grace of Jesus. Now, this isn't in the Scripture. This is just for me. But I think very few people can fathom the full grace of Jesus Christ. I know I can't. Of all that He did for me, 
of the incredible plan and the incredible pain and everything that he did, not to prove a point, but just because of us. And that every time we mess up, even when we knew we were messing up, he didn't just kill us. He extended grace. You think of all the times that you were this close to death, maybe, and you didn't even know about it. You think of all the times you recovered from the cold. You think of all the times that you recovered from the injury. You think about all the times where it could have turned out differently. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's what the Scripture says. Hebrews chapter 4, he's speaking to Hebrews. That's why he's using this terminology. And he says, this high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, he understands our weaknesses. I'm thankful for a God that understands my weakness. He doesn't expect me to be Superman. I think God, who has grace and understands my weakness when I give in to the temptation instead of enduring the temptation. I thank God who understands my weakness when I think it's too hard and I want to give up and he steps in to help. He understands our weakness for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. And because of this, we can now come boldly to the throne of our gracious, look at that word again, that gracious God, where we can receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, the Jews understood what a high priest was. It was one that made atonement for them. They would bring their offering of an animal to them. They would slaughter it. They would take some of the blood. And then the priest would sprinkle it on the mercy seat to absolve us of our sin. But that only happened once a year. And now we have a high priest that went once and for all for everybody so that we don't have to bring blood anymore, that we don't have to slaughter anymore, that now we come boldly to the throne of grace. And we remember that grace. And I'm here to tell you, this is, if, if you're new with us, uh, I hope this doesn't shock you, but you need to know the truth about what we believe. Grace doesn't mean you get to keep doing what you're doing when God says no. That's not grace, that's rebellion. Grace is, I didn't know, and he didn't kill me. That's grace. (laughs) And then you've got a chance to ask for forgiveness and stop doing that mess. That's grace. If there was no chance, and every time you stepped over the line, he just killed you or struck you with sickness, then we'd say, well, there's no grace. That's right. There's law. But because of his grace... We get to sit here, even though every last one of us have sinned, and many times we knew we were sinning and we did it anyway. That's grace. But it doesn't mean you get to keep on doing it. That's not grace. That's rebellion. He takes the heat for us. Did you know that? Jesus' job when he ascended to heaven was to stand between us and God. And when God says, the law says, he says, whoa, Dad, I paid for that. Hey, do you see what they're... I paid for that. It's also his job to say, hey, you've got to help her today because I know what she went through and it's hard. I've been there. She needs, she needs you right now, Dad. She needs your strength. 
He needs you today because what he's going through is going to be tough without us. He needs you. That's what our Heavenly Father, that's what Jesus Christ is standing as a mediator between us and God, saying, God, give them strength. God, help them during this time when they don't know what to do. God, don't let their heart fully break. This is the tough stuff. I've been there. I've been through every human experience. I've experienced the whole realm of it, and and I know it's hard. God, help them. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. He doesn't sit back and say, get stronger. Come on. Buck up. Come on. What's wrong with you? Just put on a good face. Let's go. Game up. Let's go. He's gracious. He knows what you've gone through. He knows the depth of your hurt. He's seen you at your very worst. And it's not like he didn't notice. In fact, he says, help her. Stay with her. Be there for them. But sometimes we miss that. It's hard. But we have to determine, like verse 16 says, when it feels like we've got nothing left, we go boldly. We can go because of grace. We can go to Him and we receive grace. We boldly go before His throne. He says, here's some grace. You don't deserve it. That's grace. If I deserved it, then it's not grace. But we don't deserve it. And he extends grace. Next, we have the extravagant love of the Father. And there's way too much Scripture, so I just brought in one that to me spoke the most to me and, and that I have personally felt. Speaking of this extravagant love, Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate. Do you know what compassionate means? It's the opposite of uncaring. And for some of you, that's all that you've known of God. He didn't do anything when Grandma died. He didn't do anything when I had this happen. He didn't do anything. He is not compassionate. You need to repent and understand He is, but life happens. He is not there to intercede in every minute of your everyday life. Sometimes He allows things to happen to draw you closer. Sometimes He allows things to happen so you hate it so much you never want to go back to it. And sometimes it's just life. When my beautiful little baby girl was still in a little walker thing, I don't even know what they call it. It wasn't a stroller, but you, basically it's just to keep them out of trouble. You put them in it and it's got a big circle around it with some wheels, and she was all over the place, and we were getting ready for the day. Busy time of our lives, and I hear her begin to cry, and she had been in the bathroom and pulled the curling iron down on her arm. And that's because I'm a bad father. I wanted that to happen. I mean, that's obviously why I left it plugged in, left it in her reach, and wasn't watching her every second of the day, right? I'm a bad father. I had hoped, oh man, I hope she comes in here. I hope she gets a hold of that curling iron, and I hope she has a scar on her arm for the rest of her life. Or, am I a loving father that rushes to her aid, removes the curling iron, and yet it still happened, didn't it? But it wasn't my plan. It wasn't what I wanted to happen by any extreme How about you? Have you thought of God in a negative way because something happened in your life that you felt shouldn't have happened? 
and now he's no longer father or he's a disconnected, uncompassionate God, you need to repent in your mind. And just because it happened doesn't mean he is not a good God. I also remember when my, my baby boy was born and he was, he was something. And at that time, I was in much better shape and much more active. We were playing on the floor. I played a lot with my kids, and I was laying on my back, and little Josh decided he wanted to get up, and so he stuck his little skinny, sharp fingernail finger right down my nose and pulled. Instant blood, instant hurt, instant eyes watering, right? And I had the power to pick him up and throw him into a wall. I could have killed him like that, right? I hadn't the means. But he's still alive and well. I didn't throw him into a wall. Because I accepted the fact that as a barely a toddler, he didn't know what he was doing. Even though I had the power, I didn't respond. That's grace. That's the extravagant love of a father. You think about how many times you've pushed the edge. You think about how many times you've stuck your finger in God's nose and he responded with grace and mercy because he is compassionate and loving. When he could have responded so much differently. And I'm speaking to an older crowd right now of people that grew up in church and then you lost your way for a little bit and your lifestyle was completely different and you did stuff that you know you didn't get raised to and God didn't squish you like a bug. That's grace and compassionate, the extravagant love of the Father. Because if He had had to be lawful, you would have been dead. I would have been dead. Look at this. Not only is he compassionate, he is merciful. He's slow to get angry. That's a good God. And he's filled, think about that, filled with unfailing love. He doesn't respond in anger. He is slow to anger. And by the time he gets there, Man, he's usually waiting for somebody to talk him out of it like Moses or Abraham because he knows he doesn't want to pour out his anger because he's filled with love. Is this the father that you know? I don't know, but I'm telling you, this is the father. And if this is not the father you know, you need to get to know him. You know how you get to know him? You read his word. You begin to pray. You adapt your thinking that he's not some guy someplace he is God, and He is good. And lastly, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. You remember just a little bit ago I was saying that when Jesus intermediates and mediates between the two of us, between us and God, that He says, you know, help them. The great news is that God said, I did. I gave Him the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray to the Father and He'll give you another, what? Helper. 
You only need help when you're in trouble. You only need help when you're weak. He's not there to stomp on you. I'll give you another helper. That he may abide with you for how long? Forever. He is the spirit of truth. When you need to know the truth, that's why I've given you the Holy Spirit. He's going to remind you the truth about you. He's going to remind you about the truth of the situation. He's going to remind you that God is truth and that he is always on your side. Now, I'm going to lay a little bit of Bible geekery on you here this morning just to make the point. The, the Greek word that they use for Holy Spirit is the, the term parakletos, which means welded or bonded to your side. Think about that. One who is by my side. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he hasn't left you. He is by your side. The helper the one that can't be removed. He will abide with you forever. Fasten to us, our helper, our comforter, our counselor, our prayer assistant, that it said when we don't know how to pray, we've got the Holy Spirit that teaches us how to pray. But I'm speaking to another portion of the crowd this morning that you're afraid of the Holy Spirit or you got a strange flavor of the Holy Spirit sometime in your life and now you try to have nothing to do with it and it is part of God. You can't fully know God without knowing the Holy Spirit. You can't fully pray without the Holy Spirit. He's there to help you when you don't know how to pray and He's right there interceding with you and if you cut Him off, you're cutting, trying to cut off part of God. And I know that the Holy Spirit has been abused and people have gone to excess, but I'm talking about the biblical Holy Spirit that we need. And notice that He is an intimate friend. Think about that for a minute. Is that how you view the Holy Spirit? As a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a friend that's fastened to your side, almost like a Siamese twin. You, you can't get rid of him. You, you can't live without him. He is there at all times, good, bad, and ugly. He is there. He is always for you. He is always directing you back to the Father. Is that your view of the Holy Spirit? Or is it tongues? Or is it weird stuff? Or is it people doing strange things? That's not the Holy Spirit. That's things people did. That's not the Holy Spirit. Read what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And understand that He is your intimate friend. The friend that knew what you did even though you didn't have to tell anybody else. The friend that has seen you at your best and at your worst. And didn't give up on you. He is the Spirit of truth that will abide with you forever. You want to know the truth about you? Read God's Word. The Holy Spirit reminds you the truth about you. We sang some of it this morning. You are called. You are blessed. You are anointed. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are a child of God. You are not a slave of fear. This is what He reminds us if we allow Him to be our intimate friend. I encourage you, you need to get priority here. And your first priority needs to be maybe I need to rethink who God is. He's been 
some people my dad thought was cool or somebody my mom drug me to church to meet, but you don't really know him this morning. I hope I, my, my words are so feeble compared to this, but you need to know who God really is for you. Not who I say he is. Not who the world says he is. But you need to know who he is for you. You need to know who Jesus Christ is for you. You need to know who the Holy Spirit is for you. Because without it, you will not have a good prayer life. You may go through a routine and you may set it up in your phone, but it will feel dry and plastic and feel like I'm just saying the words and nothing's happening, so why should I keep doing this? It's a great question. I would say stop. And start pursuing God. Figure out who He is. Pour your heart out to Him. And you'll make a connection because He wants to connect with you. He wants to remain in you. He wants you to remain in Him.